Good morning, everybody. In 1966, Jesus found me. And in 1970, I found religion. And I want to be honest with you and, and say that since that time, I've tried to live a life that differentiates between the two. And when it doesn't get in the way, I can respect and cherish and appreciate the way religion provides and guides and equips me to be a follower of Christ, how to follow. But other times when I see religion straying away or getting in the way of Jesus, I have experienced a great feeling of oppression and weariness, disappointment, discouragement, angry, and sometimes I hate religion, to be honest with you. And in some ways, probably all of these years of my life have been spent in some sort of rehabilitation and trying to figure out how to live within the sacred tension of holding those two so as not to get them confused and so as not for them to be a weapon against one another. And what I've been trying to do over all of these years is to keep my eyes on Jesus and my heart vulnerable and wide open to God's Holy Spirit to blow where God's Holy Spirit will blow and let the church meaning the community of God's beloved people, be the tangible substance through which I learn and practice what comes when you give your life over to letting God have run of the house. What happens then? And the church is the place where we bring all of that to bear and we say we're going to change the world. In 1966, the Vietnam War was ramping up. And Martin Luther King Jr. was continuing to galvanize the civil rights movement, and Star Trek made its debut. So, being a child of the late 50s, I'll say that television was a really important part of my growing up. But there was a movement that started out here in Southern California that became pretty known worldwide. Most of you are probably too young to remember it. And it spread through North America and Europe and Central America, and it would forever change the uh, religious landscape of America. And I was a part of it. And that's where this tension comes in for me. It was called the Jesus Movement by the media, and its members were known as Jesus people or Jesus freaks. It started out being a, a derogatory term, Jesus freaks, but those of us who were in it said, yes, that's true. We are freaky. It was a, mo a movement that was a counter to the counterculture that marked the mid-60s. We were the ones who do remember the 60s. <laughs> And the scene was hallmarked by the founding of things like uh, Calvary Chapel, for example. When I, when I remember going to Calvary Chapel when it was a, under a circus tent. And thousands of people were at the beaches getting baptized, and a new kind of Christian rock was emerging, and what came out of that was uh, uh, labels like Maranatha and Hillsong. And uh, the parachurch movement was starting to really find some traction because people were looking for an alternative. And phrases like love and peace and just as I am and the rapture and there's one way to peace through the power of the cross. And those were all code words for us rebels. They were code words that said, You're, you and I, we're, 
were different. It was a contemporary reformation. And, you know, what I've come to understand after all these years is that a, reformation, a contemporary reformation comes along every single time when the passion and the fire of the last reformation has grown cold with being managed and lost its focus because of gazing too long at its own belly button. And a reformation takes place when we concentrate on feeding the beast That means ourselves with budgets and campaigns and marketing. And when we see that the people become customers instead of pilgrims, that's the Jesus freak talking. Once you're a Jesus freak, always a Jesus freak. Before that, before that Jesus movement, there was the charismatic movement. And that was, had been going on for about 10 years. And it was finally winding down and then jumped in a new reformation. And before that was the revivalist movement. And when that, before that was the second great awakening. And guess what was before that? The first great awakening. I was just seeing if you're listening. Obviously not. And before that was the restoration movement. And before that was the reformation, reformation movement. You see, you get the picture of what happens when we get stuck And we start really taking our eyes off of the main thing. Over and over again throughout the ages, we've wandered off the main road. It's happened ever since Moses went up to the mountain and the people started throwing all their uh, rings and bracelets in to make a, a golden calf. And the Spirit of God comes down and touches that dull ache that's inside of us that grows neglected when we get a blurry vision like that. And a new fire leaps out of our hearts, and we're compelled to return to our first love, and that's Jesus. The Word made flesh, the talking, walking around love of God. And sometimes we do it really well, and sometimes we do it so clumsy that we end up really separating ourselves even further apart from the very thing that we want the most. In our scripture lesson today, we are able to experience a cautionary tale, I believe, for today about what we may be a part of and not really even see, or what we may see is happening in the church. See if it sounds familiar at all. Paul recognizes and confronts a movement by the mainline Jewish establishment. And what they're trying to do to the, the uh, Jewish Christians is to shift their allegiance from the, of the Jewish and Gentile Christians who were, who were being converted to Judaism. They're trying to shift their allegiance from Jesus to the Jewish religion first and Jesus second. And, and what they're trying to say is, They're trying to take their focus and passion for the way of Jesus and redirect it to being a good Jew. Paul implores the believers at Galatia, implores them not to turn Christ into a new religion. And Paul, of all people, knew all about religion in the deepest and most brutal form. How religion can twist and turn when it loses its center. 
and how predisposed we are to controlling and, and becoming exclusive when we get bogged down in our religion. And then the question you have to always ask yourself is, how can you think that you can control Jesus? How can we even possibly believe that we're the only ones that Jesus is an advocate for? We're the only ones that Jesus died for. We're the only ones. It's impossible. So Galatians 2, 15 through 21, listen. See if you hear anything that strikes a chord with today. We Jews know that we have no advantage of birth over non-Jewish sinners. We know very well that we are not set right with God by rule-keeping, but only through personal faith in Jesus Christ. So how do we know? We tried it, and we had the best system of rules the world has ever seen. Convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement. We believed in Jesus as the Messiah. So that we might be set right before God by trusting in the Messiah. Not by trying to be good. Have some of you noticed that we are not yet perfect? No great surprise, right? And are you ready to make the accusation that since people like me who go through Christ in order to get things right with God aren't perfectly virtuous, Christ must therefore be an accessory to sin? The accusation is frivolous. If I was trying to be good, I would be rebuilding the same old barn that I tore down. I would be acting like a charlatan. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a law man so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identify completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I am no longer driven to impress God. God lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not going to go back on that. Is it not clear to you that to go back to that old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? And I refuse to do that, to repudiate God's grace. If a, if a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. That's the word of the Lord. So you hear Paul declaring several times in this text that we are not made right with God by rule-keeping, but only through Jesus Christ. Another way of saying this is the word justified. We are not justified with God by keeping rules, but by our faith in Jesus Christ. Our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is, this is what God does for all of us who are out of alignment with God. God takes our, the messy human lives and straightens them out and puts them right in a right relationship with God through Christ. Look at the way Christ has shown you the way. Follow the way, and you'll be made right. 
Because God so loved the entire world, everybody, that the grace of Christ makes it happen for all. Jews are made right with God. Gentiles are made right with God. Paul's letter to Galatia is a reminder that being a Christian is not about allegiance to religious parties. For Paul, faith recenters the mind and the heart and the spirit. And so that so that one, each of us operates out of an intimacy with Christ, not through our own works, but through our faith. Through this indwelling, we participate in an all-encompassing love of God for ourselves and for all of humanity. We experience that same love that Christ has for all of humanity. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. So we see, we think, we hear, we speak, we love in the way that Christ does. Through the death and resurrection of Christ comes Christ to dwell in the human heart and to produce a harmony, a community based not on social distinctions and not on any other thing except one thing, and that is love, a community based in love. And this community that's based in love should reflect our common human situation as recipients of grace and bearers of the divine. Our common human situation, which is we have been given a gift as much as God has willed to give a gift to anybody that God deems that needs that gift or wants that gift or, or whatever God sees fit. We're all in the same boat together, basically, is what Paul is saying, all of us, because none of us earned it, and none of us are better. The divine dwells in Jews and Gentiles, the scriptures tell us, in Jews and Gentiles, in slaves and and free men and women. In some versions, it says, in in Christ there is no Jew nor Greek, and when you, when when the New Testament uses the word Greek, what that means is anybody that's not a Jew, anybody that's not a Jew, they call them a Greek. And this indwelling reveals the essential intimacy that exists between humanity and our creator. An intimacy that no matter what we do, we cannot destroy it. But why can't we destroy it? Well, because we don't control it, because we aren't the author of it, because it doesn't depend on us, but on the graciousness of a living God who saw fit to create all things, who saw fit to come in, in human form in order to keep us close. Faith, and that's our part, because we are in a relationship, which means that we're not just limp noodles waiting for something to happen to us. But we have a part in this relationship as well. So faith, faith allows the indwelling of Christ to become transparent. Faith frees us from the logic of a social world built on the oppression of others. doesn't make sense anymore that we would oppress others because of our faith. Faith is our ability to recognize others as bearer of the divine, 
Our faith says to us, I look at you, and I know that God is in you. I know that God created you. And you're a child of God, as most certainly I am. And I don't know what Christ is doing in your life. I pray that you're aware. Faith is a site of unity for all of us, my friends. It's where the playing ground is very level. And where God's desire for us and our own desire are woven together. Isn't that beautiful? Where no longer do we stand outside of ourselves and say, I'm not sure what the will of God is for my life because, you know, I'm bad, but God is good. And God says, but I'm dwelling inside of you. Christ is within you. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Now, this is a place where you come together. And the divine compassion is so urgently desires to display its love for all of humanity that God takes human form. And walks among us and shows us in words and actions, in birth and death, in victory over death, the intimacy and power of that love. All things are possible. And Jesus says, and you'll do greater things, by the way. Greater things. Though Christians know this indwelling through the revelation of Christ, and this is where the Jesus freak is going to come out. And it might freak you out. And if it does, praise God. But we Christians know that this indwelling through the revelation of, is through the revelation of Christ. But it also can ex- coexist in other religions. Which is why Jews and Greeks, a New Testament term meaning anyone but a Jew, could enter into Christian community. Christ in us requires nothing but faith, that rests in the confidence that God is God, not us. And that God will choose who God chooses. And the Spirit will blow where the Spirit blows. And we just have to make sure that we are part of the relationship. Our faith is being nurtured and equipped and kept focused. Paul's depiction of the priority of faith doesn't really give us any clarifying answers nor does it give us any comforting practices. But it offers us Christ instead. It offers us Jesus. And if we begin with faith, then we can inhabit our own religion more lightly. And I don't mean less seriously, but more lightly. In my own story, I count it a blessing when I look back, and I am so grateful that I met Jesus before I met the religion about Jesus. Because that has allowed me to enjoy the formation of of our particular community without insisting that it is, that our community is the only way. Because when I was in love with Jesus and didn't know about the community, I saw Jesus working in a thousand different places, a thousand different ways. And my mind wasn't being sharpened to say, Jesus only works here. Our faith can allow us to be nourished by the tradition without assuming that those who practice differently have no knowledge of God and have no understanding of God. I'm constantly saying, and I have been since that moment when I met Jesus, how could anything good come if it isn't from the heart of God? 
Is there a place that you can go and get love? Is there a place that will give you a heart that is changed? Is there a place where you can dip into a well that isn't from God, that will make all things different, that will change your heart, that will make you in love? Is there a place outside of God? I don't believe there is. Faith gives us the courage to honor our heritage while recognizing the new things that God is doing in other people's lives. And Paul insists that our trust in this love is always justified. In 1966, Jesus found me. And in 1970, I found religion. And funnily enough, believe it or not, I was pretty young then. In 1970, there was a Broadway show called The Godspell premiered as well, right when I found religion. And that uh, music, and some of that music became a rosary for me that I would say every night and every day. It was day by day. Dear Lord, three things I pray. To see thee more clearly, to love thee more dearly, to follow thee more nearly, day by day. So... (laughs) As funny as it sounds, at the height of the Jesus movement, I entered high school with a Bible under my arm, a commitment to ministry, and an off-Broadway show tune to keep my faith simple and focused. But I'm serious. I could have never, ever imagined, my friends, the long and winding road of my life in a million years with its rest stops and its gravestone markers along the way. Uh, My memories acting as a friend to remind me of where I come from always. And of the one who has stepped with me every step of the way, who loved me into knowing me in 1966 and making themselves known to me who's loved me through this tension and this love-hate relationship with religion that sometimes gets in the way and sometimes propels me forward at a a galactic speed. And sometimes I just flounder around because I'm still me. And with that living knowledge, it lets me have the humility to tether, to tether me so as not to try, try to run wildly past the world intent only on making my own road. My own road has proven to be very treacherous. And I, would, I choose not to walk it by myself. Grasping for glory or claiming the prizes, my own and what I've done, in the things I've accomplished and where I've been, and none of that seems to matter because I was crucified in Christ. It doesn't matter because it's all been for that. No, the truth of of it is, is that Jesus is the Lord of my life, not my religion. But my religion allows me and trains me and equips me and inspires me to live out that life as Jesus is Lord. And in Christ, I can say this. In Christ, I experience a freedom a freedom to accept with arms wide open that the love of Christ extends far beyond any persons that the Pharisees thought Jesus should be extending love to, far beyond any 
prejudices of any religion and far beyond my own finite, small, pale understanding. I'm so glad of that. I'm so glad that Jesus' arms are much wider than mine. And I will continue to follow that and continue to ask Christ to spread my arms wider and wider. I hope that you'll be able to do the same. I hope that at some point that burden will be lifted from your shoulders and that you will see once and for all that Jesus as Lord is a call to freedom. It's an invitation to live with the greatest hope and inspiration you could possibly imagine. So, in 1966, Jesus found me. When did Jesus find you? When did you find religion? Are you able to keep the two in a healthy balance? Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are such love. I thank you that your love has come to us through our faith, And that when we're at our very best, we can shape our religion around our faith. I thank you that you call us into repentance when it doesn't, when we get off the mark. And that our hearts can't be stilled by it. We just have to become freaks. Thank you. And I pray all of these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, whose loves the world so much that he gave his life so that everyone might know him. Amen.